Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, August the 27th. Um, I'm Christian Thwaites of Brown Janikowski. I'm Emily Takenverts, and let's get started with this week's market chat. So, Christian, we've had a lot of volatility in the markets for over the last, I would say, two weeks or so. You know, it seems as though really the trade narrative is, is driving a lot of this action. Would you say that there is any other thing on the horizon that's driving this? Um, I think trade is for, for, you know, front and center. Um, I mean, there, it, to, today there was an interesting article by Bill Dudley, who was the, uh, the, uh, the president of the New York Fed, which is obviously the one which always sits on the FOMC. Uh, and he wrote an interesting editorial in Bloomberg about uh, just how you know, the, the, the trade, the tweets, the interruptions, the sort of getting people on the back foot, front foot, keeping them unnerving, unnerved, is very much driving the market. And you know, his, his uh, admonition to the Fed was to ignore that and, and keep pressing forward on the fundamentals, which the Fed then put out, very surprisingly, a... Uh, um, an affirmation that's exactly what they were doing. So we've just never had this position where we've had a, a president, um, you know, fairly acrimonious and using fairly hostile language to, to the Fed. So I think that is front and foremost. Uh, right behind that, though, I think is the low level of interest rates worldwide. You know, as we know, we're, we're at 0% effectively with the Bank of England, the ECB and the Bank of Japan and the Swiss National Bank. And we're not there yet, but there's a definitely a concern that, you know, there's a kind of a de deflation uh, specter in, in the air. So um, I think it's the, sl the slowing down, the, the feeling that it's a fairly long cycle and, and kind of what's next. And could, and could the trade talks uh, tip us earlier into something a little bit more disconcerting like a recession? So you mentioned the Fed there. You mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned the Fed. Um, you know, the Fed had, there was, there was the Jackson Hole meeting, um, and, you know, Jay Powell came out with a statement and said that there were significant risks that they saw globally. Um, the minutes came out, though, as well, and it showed a little bit of dissent within the Fed um, yeah. around looking at the fundamentals, how big of an impact trade it has. Um, you know, is that going to be a problem? Um, that's interesting. Yeah, there were two dissenters, Esther George from Kansas, who's you know a notably uh, in a hardliner, uh, very sort of anti-inflation, and has tended you know not in just in this meeting, but to be concerned about uh, re reducing reducing rates, and was a fan of increasing rates in 2018. Uh, I think the other one was um, um, might have been the guy from from Boston, but um, I, I think they make a good point that. You know, in, in, unemployment is at these record lows. Claims are not moving at all. We've discussed this in relation to the uh, broader economy, um, and, and there, there's no real evidence that inflation is falling. They, it could be higher. They think people would like it to be a little bit higher, but it's not falling. And uh, and so you know, the sensor I think were quite quite well explained. In the bigger context. I don't think a dissent, uh, a dis dissension is really important on the Fed. There are some times when they want unanimity, but they don't always get it. And I don't think um, any Fed chairman should spend a lot of time trying to get it. I mean, there was a notorious example, I remember in 2008, 2011, with the, with, um, the then Dallas president, Richard Fisher, who uh, was 
you know, uniquely unqualified to be on the FOMC, but, uh, but, um, and had these kind of hard money views. And right in the middle of the great financial crisis was resisting, uh, you know, a cut in the rates and used this whole hyperbolic language about it leading to extreme inflation and undermining the value of the currency. He had no idea what he was talking about. But uh, I, I don't even think Bernanke tried to kind of get people like that on board. And I don't think, um, I, I don't think there's anyone quite like him, thank God, on the Fed right now. But uh, I, I think, you know, the, the odd dissension isn't a major concern. We shouldn't really concern ourselves about it. It's happened before, and I'm sure it'll happen again. You also mentioned uh, negative rates. We're seeing negative rates around the globe. Um, does that have, um, is there a risk there that that could, be a headwind in terms of exporters and a strong dollar. Well, yes, certainly because um, you know the, the dollar, even at you know two point two five percent Fed funds rate, probably heading to two in a few weeks in September, that's still you know, one hundred and fifty basis points uh, ahead of the next sort of major currencies. I mean, sure, there are other currencies with with higher rates, but they're not ones that you're going to feel comfortable in given either political risk or economic risk or inflation risk or just the fact that they're not that liquid. So really on the world stage, you're dealing with the euro, sterling, Japanese yen, um, and uh, the, the, uh, the Swiss franc. Um, and there are other you know, great currencies like the Hong Kong dollar, but that's pegged to the US dollar. There's the Singapore dollar, but that, you know, that has a kind of a hard currency element to it. And then once you're in sort of the Middle East and everything, you're really talking about a petro type of dollar. So those are the ones that count. And the dollar is, you know, pays higher rates than all of them. Uh, and I've been reading, we don't obviously do this, but, uh, you know, an investor can take out a swap, you know, on a, on a, on a, on a, a German backed 0% um, paying um, bond. Uh, and you know the swap rates will still put them in positive territory, so they get the upside of, of the euro, and they, they essentially get a euro uh, asset, which is um, which is yielding more than the underlying euro because of the because of the swap uh, benefits of being in the dollar. So, yeah, there's all that going on, and I you know I, uh, the Chinese, as as we mentioned the other day, uh, you know were let the RMB sort of float down, get weaker over the seven mark, um, but. Um, the other dollars, dollars got a strengthening problem, and, I, and I, difficult to see, you know, how. In order for it to weaken, there would have to be a pretty substantial, either loss of confidence in the dollar could happen, or you know, the rates come down faster than we're expecting, and then that sort of the parity interest rate with these other currencies becomes more into line. But I don't see that happening either. Okay. All right. <laughs> Um, so if we're if if trade is really driving the market, it also is driving um, a lot of fear around recessions. What what's your take on a recession or an imminent recession? Yeah. Um, well, as I, I I think we all know this this cycle is fairly long in the tooth. But you know, as we've mentioned lots of time, it's been a very weak recovery since two thousand eight two thousand nine. We've had. We've never really, we had a kind of a sort of a V-shaped recovery, but after that's kind of flattened out. We haven't had anything like the sort of confidence levels, spending levels, wage increase levels, asset price levels that we did before. I mean, to, as one example, uh, you know, housing starts are clicking along at a 1.1, 1.2 million. At their peak, they're about 2.3. So you could argue that that was too much uh, and, you know, obviously created a bit of a bubble. But I don't know if 1.2 is the right number either. 
Um, and there are other kind of indicators where we've never really got back to the levels we did. Um, so I think, you know, slow recovery, fairly shallow recession if we had it. But it's not pointing there now. It is in the manufacturing economy, but that's 20% of the total economy. And, uh, and you know, it doesn't... And probably about 12-15% of the employees. So we're not really seeing any any kind of major indicator there. It could happen quickly, but the ones to look at the I think the best indicators to look at is unemployment and claims. And so far, you know, workers are are not being fired, they're not being furloughed, they're not having shorter hours, and so uh, you know that seems to be going okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly some of the economic data has slowed this year, but wasn't that expected? Um, Yes, I think, well, look, a year ago, everybody knew the trade stuff was sort of in the crosshairs and, and China was going to be a problem uh, for you know anybody that worked there or did business there. Um, but uh, I, I, I mean, I think the recession watch indicator has elevated a little bit. But remember, the Fed is also reacting to this. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, we've seen one rate cut. There's a very long lag time between on a monetary, monetary policy, where they're raising rates or cutting rates, really you don't start to see a lot happening for at least six months, closer to a year. So I think, um, you know, with what we're seeing now with the last couple of weeks, like yesterday, for example, we had durable goods orders. They were fine. It was up like 1.5% year over year. You know, these aren't numbers where, where people are kind of cutting back sharpishly, which is what you'd you know, be worried about more. It's just, it's just kind of slower. It's run out of puff. Yeah. You know, and uh, and and the trade talks definitely hang over every single every single person's um, conversation. Now it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, a hundred percent in the U.S. and then you don't have any overseas sales, like some financials, um, or you're very export dependent. You're still in the back of your mind thinking, what's going to happen to the nine hundred and fifty billion, nearly one trillion dollars worth of trade that the U.S. and China do with each other? We all the talk is about the goods deficit, which is about $350 billion. But the U.S. runs a services surplus. So that's things like you know, interest, insurance, financial, financial services, airplane tickets, tourism, all that kind of stuff, all massively in the U.S.'s favor. So you know, if you kind of literally took Trump's remarks from Friday and said, we don't need China, you're talking about Nearly a trillion dollars that you don't need. Well, that's a 4% reduction in GDP. So I think that's hanging over everybody. Oh, and do you remember we saw the other day, Macy's. I mean, Macy's hasn't got a single outlet outside the, outside the United States. Yeah. Said, uh, hey, we're not seeing a lot of uh, Chinese tourists coming here and spending. And who can blame them? I mean, so, so you know, I think everywhere uh, people are, are, have got this in the back of their mind, whether they're exporters that are directly affected by the tariffs or not. Yeah. All right. Last question for you. How effective can monetary policy be in this era? Um, It can do a lot, but it can't do everything. Uh, I mean, I think, uh, you know, a swift acting, reactive, well thought out central bank move can be hugely helpful to get markets moving in the right direction. And and the the Fed has done a good job on moving well. Their forward guidance, I think, is pretty, pretty solid. Uh, you know, they can use t- tools like QE and so on. But eventually, and this is again where we've seen it happen in Japan, and it seems to be happening in Germany. You can have the lowest rates um, and, uh, you know, a very pliant, um, very dovish central bank, and the economy just simply doesn't doesn't move. 
and uh, and that's the kind of risk of deflation. And in both their countries, um, Germany especially, there's plenty of margin for fiscal policy. In Japan, less so. They've got more of a demographic problem on their hands. But um, you know, at some point, fiscal policy counts as well. And uh, whether it's the form of tax cuts or direct spending, um, eventually, I think when you know, when, if the economy really hits the the rails in a bad way, then you need fiscal policy. And we we needed it in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, with things like TARP. That was a direct fiscal policy, as was the decision to extend things like um, unemployment benefits. So you know, there, that that's should be used more. It doesn't seem to be a tool that's being used right now. So yep, limits of monetary policy, they're definitely out there. All right. Well, thank you, Christian. Thanks to you all for listening every week. We will be off for a few weeks. Yes. Um, and I'd like to take this opportunity to uh, to thank Emily for being such a, uh, a great uh, spirit, guiding spirit on these on these podcasts. Unfortunately, this will be the last one that we do for the foreseeable future, Emily and I, because Emily is unfortunately leaving Brown Janikowski to join, what's the firm, Emily? It's uh, BOS. There you go, BOS. Um, and we're very sad to lose her, but we wish her, wish her well and lots of good luck in her future. And it's been fun doing these podcasts. And now I'm going to have to find a partner as good as you, Emily, and that makes it, that, that's going to be difficult. So we, we wish you lots of luck. Well, thank you, Christian. It's been uh, very, very, very enjoyable for me as well. Good. And here's a disclosure, everybody. Please note the discussion of our investments, investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investments, investment trading, the data of this commentary, subject to change without notice. We cannot assure the type of investment discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. So for general information purposes only, references to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. Security is mentioned in this commentary only several of the successful as unsuccessful investments by us and do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold, or redeemed or recommend. Although we deem reliable the sources of the statistical and other information referred in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements of numerical data. Past performance, no indication of future results.